Welcome to church this morning. It's great to be here. Happy New Year. Yeah, I love it. Um, it's, it's a great, I, I love the feeling of something fresh and even the fresh falling snow. I know some people are like, yeah, they're not a big fan of snow, but it's like, I just love there's so many things about the different seasons and the way God expresses them. And snow is one of those. And it's like, you look at it the right way. It's a lot of fun. Maybe we'll have a snowball fighter on the way out. That'd be awesome. But it's the beginning of a new year. And I just feel that it's fitting to reflect on the past, but also to look to the future with, with just a sense of what God has done. And God's been so faithful. We, we've sung about it. We've celebrated. He's, he's done so many great things in this past year, amazing things. And, and, it, and it's just a testament to the faithfulness of God and the love of God. And, and, and I just celebrate that. He's doing great things. But I believe there's great things ahead as well. Many of you would be maybe... Uh, Hey, many of you maybe I know it's kind of qualifying, but familiar with this concept of pay it forward? That it's like you know you you see it whether it be on Facebook or just heard it said, pay it forward. It's this idea of of responding to the kindness of someone by expressing that kindness to someone else. It's like you receive something and you you know you you pay it forward. You pass it on. It's like. Uh, my daughter works at a, at a coffee shop, and during the Christmas season, people were feeling somewhat generous, and, and there was this person that came through the drive-thru, and they're like, um, I'd like to pay for the next couple vehicles coming behind me, and, and she's like, oh, that's cool. So anyway, they, they did that, and then the next person said, hey, the person ahead of you paid for them, they said, oh, really? That's cool. I want to do the same thing. So it kind of, it turned into this flood of generosity that went for several vehicles and to several people, and it's this idea of paying it forward. When you, you know, when you pay at the window and you drive off it's like there's there's no return for you immediately but you're paying it you're giving it to someone else and as they receive that they give it to someone else and and so on and it was a it was a beautiful thing I mean Jesus kind of taught this concept uh, I think one example when he was when he was dealing with the religious leaders and he was meeting at their house and and he he encouraged the those that that had the haves to say he said to them guys Listen, when you're, when you're throwing a banquet and you're inviting people in and coming, it's like, invite the marginalized and the poor and those, those that don't have a lot of resources and, and just bless them knowing that, that God will bless you for that because it's like you're not doing it for a return from them. It's like you're not doing a ref, uh, them a favor so that they will repay that favor. And it's like there's that sense with that in pay it forward. My challenge this morning is this. I don't want us to think so much of paying it forward in the area of good deeds. But I want to challenge us to pray it forward. We're, we're looking forward into the new year. We're, we're, we're looking forward into what God is doing. And I want us to pray it forward. We're, we're beginning a new year. We're, 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 we're starting a new decade. I mean, that's pretty crazy. Um, just to think of that and, and just the possibilities and, and all the neat things that go with that. But in doing that, guys, we need, we need prayer more than ever. As we, as we look to the future, as we look to what God is doing, as we consider what he's up to, I believe that we need him in our lives and need his power upon us more than ever. I believe that God wants to move in our city and in our church more than ever. I believe that God wants to work in us individually, but also corporately more than ever. So when it comes to pray it forward, I want us to consider praying risky, unselfish prayers. I, I'm, I'm, I want to challenge us to, to pray for others, those, 
those that may not even return the favor. To be in that place of praying it forward. I'm thinking of not my will, but yours, Lord, be done kind of prayers. Prayers, prayers that, that could cost us something. I mean, I, I recognize that many of you are already praying those kind of prayers. And, and I believe that we're seeing the fruit of that in our lives and across the church. But I just want to take a moment to intentionally invite us and all in this together, church-wide kind of level, praying it forward. Across the life of the church, over the next week, I'm inviting us to intentionally do that. And that's kind of how I'm wrapping this message this morning is around that idea of praying it forward. There's nothing wrong with praying for ourselves. That's in Scripture. I mean, and we need to do that. God is more than willing to hear and meet our needs and to minister to us. But I don't want to leave it there. I want to take it to the next level, and I believe praying it forward will do that. So in shaping this week of prayer, I'm calling us this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, that we're going to commit to pray. We're going we're to start this year in prayer, and we're going to bathe this whole church, this whole city in prayer. So in shaping that, I want us to look at the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he was, the, the book of Nehemiah, it's among the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And it's, it directly follows Ezra. There's Ezra in Nehemiah. I would encourage you to, uh, even during this week, to read that and, and to read it as, as, a, as, a, as two units or two chapters right, like close together. Read Ezra and Nehemiah. The two just really dovetail. And um, so I encourage you to read that. So just to give you a bit of a context, the nation of Israel was in exile. They'd been scattered throughout nations, um, having been overrun by the Babylonian Empire. Their temple had been destroyed. Their political and religious leaders had either, either been killed or taken captive. They were in, in a real mess. But then, through the series of time and and, and according to the Old Testament, is like I believe that there was this, the providence of God, the Persian Empire began to take over and began to, to, to displace the Babylonians and over, overpower them. And their king, Cyrus of the Persian Empire, was, was much more sympathetic to the cause of the Jews and some of the captive people in, that, that had come and been displaced. And he actually allowed the people from Judah, the, the Jewish people, to return to Jerusalem and, and to rebuild their temple. And that was, that was amazing that he would do that. And, and, and they, they celebrated that. And it was the beginning of something powerful in the life in the nation of Israel. But they were still a mess. It, 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 there, was, there was things that were, were, had not been res, restored. They, they had their temple. But it's no good to have a place of worship without a people of worship. They had the temple, but it's like they were, they were still scattered. They were not united. They were still not uh, following God's laws and decrees. And I'm going to develop that a lot more next week. But, but right now, I want us to look at Nehemiah chapter 1. And with this thought of prayer and praying it forward, and this thought of, of the situation that Nehemiah found himself in, and how he responded to that, and what we can learn from that. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, a smartphone, whatever, uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, where I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. I'm going to start at verse 1. Uh, I believe it will be on the, the screens as well. So I'm just going to read through that, and, and we'll go from there. 
Nehemiah chapter 1. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the twelfth year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was in the fortress of Susa. Now Susa is, is in the heart, it's a key city in the heart of the Persian Empire. Hananiah, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. There is great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem, it's been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. Just pause there for a second. So Hananiah is, is basically saying those that are returned, they're vulnerable. They're defenseless. And, and they're in a mess. They're, they're, they're not well off. They're in trouble. So verse 4. So Nehemiah responds, when I heard this, I sat down and, and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. When Nehemiah gets this report, he hears the report of the state of the, of the people of Israel. When he heard it, his heart broke for the city that he loved. From our perspective, this, this response may seem a little over the top. It's like we look at it and go, really? Mourned, fasted, prayed, cried? Like, come on, Nehemiah, like, What's, I want us to grab onto this. I want us to, to, be, be, to be thinking of how, how much his heart broke for the report that he heard. We live in a great city. I, I love Halifax. And when I say Halifax, I mean HRM. I, I, love, I love our city. It's an amazing place to live. It's made up of an amazing diversity of people. It's, we're blessed but when I look around our city, when I, when I think of the people that surround us on a day-to-day basis, I see the brokenness. I see the hopelessness that some people live under. I see the lostness, the vulnerability, the great trouble, but also the opportunity. It's huge, people. It's huge. When, when we see through the, through the eyes of the Spirit, when we, when we allow ourselves to be challenged by what we see and not glaze over it or pass by, it's huge. It's bigger than us. But guys, we're called to make a difference. I mean, the mandate upon this church, upon this gathering of people, upon faith, city, church, is to make a difference. It, it's to, to seize the opportunity before us, to lean into it and believe for God to con- to to transform lives. I mean, it makes me think of the, the quote from Margaret Mead. She says, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Now, I want to redeem that because if you look at the life of the 12 disciples, the apostles, right? It's like, and you look at this small group of people with the power of God and the spirit of God within them that completely transformed their world. There's power in that statement. So so Nehemiah hears this troubling report. It breaks his heart, and he goes to prayer. And he gets serious about this prayer. Like, he he doesn't just, you know, God, this is too bad. 
but he, he, it's broken. There's a burden. There's a sense of, of, of being serious and, and leaning in. He doesn't start berating his brother Hananiah. He doesn't say, he's like, why isn't somebody doing something about this? Like, why are the walls torn? He's like, what have you guys been doing? You've been in there for years. And it's like, how come things haven't changed? He doesn't blame. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't ignore the situation. He prays. Are you getting this? He prays. He prays. He, he doesn't just gloss over it. He gets serious with God. He commits to it. He digs deep. And he prays. And he prays. Days, nights, he prays. Verse 5, it says, and then I said, and this is, this is a quote from him. He's praying. And he says this, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. God, listen to my prayer. Look down and see my, me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, my own family and I have sinned. We've sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please, God, remember what you told your servant Moses. If you're unfailing to me, I will scatter you among the nations. They saw that. Then it says, but, but if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Lord, the people that you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. And then it closes with, in those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Wow. And he prayed prayers that you know touch the heart of God and are rooted in the reality of where he was in the moment he prayed his heart were burden was burdened for his people guys i believe our hearts are burdened for our people he takes it to god Folks, I believe we can take it to God. And I want to look at some of the elements of this prayer. I mean, what can we, what can we learn from this prayer from Nehemiah who, who cried out to God in his distress? There's, there's some things that he did. There's some things that he recognized. There's some things that he leaned into, and I want to do the same this morning. God, guys, when we think about about prayer, when we think about even this week of prayer, as we, as we think of the beginning of this year, the place that he began was a place of confession. Nehemiah, there was a humble recognition of sin, and I love how he didn't make it about all oh, these people, all these horrible people, they, they've sinned against you, God, and it's not right. No, he owns it. He says, I confess that we've sinned. 
against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. It's the acknowledgement of I have sinned. And we don't like the word sin. I mean, our, our culture is not a big fan of the word sin. It's associated with judgment and condemnation and, and very, you know, negative and nasty. and It's like a dirty word. But when we get honest and vulnerable before God and each other, it's the freedom that comes from not pretending that we have it all together. Do, do, you, do you get it? It's like when we recognize it's like God, the moment we say, God, we have sinned against, against you and against each other, there's instantly, there's, there's no pretense. There's no like, there's no pretending that it's like, We've got it all together. That the things that people don't know about, that we, we, we worry about them finding about, it's like it doesn't matter anymore because we're admitting it. And there's a freedom that comes from saying, God, we've sinned. We own it. It's not in, condemna- it's not in condemnation. It's in recognition. He says, I've confessed that we've sinned. Yes, it's my family. It's like we've all sinned. Guys, if we don't recognize our sin, we have no reason for a Savior. If we don't come to the place where, like, where we can kind of be oh, not okay with our sin, but just recognizing it and honest and raw. That's where Nehemiah was here. I mean, he, he lays it before God in a real raw way. As we approach this year, as we approach prayer, guys, let's start there. Let's recognize. Let's be, be real. The prayer of confession. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned, right? All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. All have sinned, but Christ makes it right. So when Nehemiah comes, it's not in his own self-righteousness. There's none of that. It's just in humble confession. Let's do that. Let's just, be, let's just be honest with God. Both the things that we've done that we know we probably shouldn't have, but also the sense that things that we know we should have done that we haven't. Like, it's, it's two-edged sword. But let's just be in a place of confession. So that's number one. Number two, there was a prayer of repentance. Repentance. It's this idea of returning to God, living in his ways, I just, I, I just want to say this. This is free. You've probably heard me say this before. But confession is not repentance. I mean, we can, we can just get so, you know, like, you know, we, we want that relief of, of telling someone, it's like, yeah, I, I blew it. I, I, I've sinned. Yes, this. And, and we, we kind of want to stop there. This is the next step. It's a prayer of repentance. Let's look at verse 9. Of, of chapter 1. He says, But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name, name to be honored. So if we look at sin as a departure from God and his ways, repentance is returning to God in his ways. And, and, and I don't want to see this as simple behavior modification. I'm believing for transformation empowered by God, spiritual transformation that comes and changes us from the inside out, that comes from turning to him. I mean, the, the classic example of this found in, in 
2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. And we've, we've heard this and we've, most, a lot of you would be familiar with this, this scripture. And it says, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. I mean, that was an Old Testament promise as, as Solomon was dedicating this temple and God spoke to him his day. If you mess up, you're going to get scattered. But if, if my people will come to me, they will be restored. It's this idea of repentance. So we turn to God. So number one's confession, and number two is this idea of repentance. And I know this is heavy, but, but understand the freedom that comes in this and the life that comes out of this and, and the power that comes out of it. So number one is confession, and two is repentance. And then, and then number three is this, this recognition of God's power. It's, it's incredible. It's to recognize that the, the God that we serve, his nature, his, his capacity, his love, and his power. It, it says in verse 10, the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand. Right? Nehemiah looked to God as the one who had the ability to take care of business. God was the one with power and strength and a mighty hand. It's, it's that recognition of who God is. Oh, man, that we could get a fresh revelation of God. I mean, think about it. The God of the universe. It's like we get glimpses of it. We get tinglings of his power. We get, you know, we get a sense a little bit of, of who God is. But this is the God of all creation. The, the God who was and is and is to come. Almighty God. Like the infathomable yet approachable God of creation. I mean, we get glimpses of it. But there's immeasurably more to God than anything that we could wrap our heads or hearts around. It's like when we think about the, the things that challenge us, when we think about praying, when we think about coming to God, do, do, we, do we have it in this context of who he is and what he's done? I love that, that you know, we're at the beginning of a new year and we can look at 2019 and we look at the amazing things that God has done. He's the God that by his strength and by his, his mighty hand, he has done great things. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19 says, Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. And Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and, and he's praying for them, and he, and he prays, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, just how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though, I love this, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Holy Spirit, help us to know God better, to have the power to know his love, his capacity, who he is. So we start with confession. We move to repentance. And we, number three, we, we, we look at God's power. And if you want a single word for that, you can call it reliance. So we've got confession, repentance, reliance. And then the next one that I believe we can pull out of this, number four would be, they were a people that honored God. This idea of it flows out of relationship, but honoring God with our lives. It's the people that honor God that will cry out to God. Number 11 says, or verse 11 of, of chapter 1 says, Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Who delight in honoring you. Russell Evans, who 
was, was the pastor of, or is the pastor of Planet Shakers in Australia. He, he, he puts it this way, honor includes the heart condition and the outward expression of respect and reverence for something we esteem to the highest degree. So it's, it's honor is it's the heart condition and the outward expression of respect and reverence for something that we esteem to the highest degree. See, a, a posture of honor isn't in it for what's in it for me. A posture of honor to God just, just looks to the, how much God deserves all of us, our lives, our, our obedience, our sacrifice. Like We think of those things and they all sound like negative things. And yet when we put them in the context of God, you can't outgive him. You can't outlove him. You can't outserve him. It's like it's like we were. It's almost like you're investing in something that the more you put into it, God is there, and his his response to that is so beyond that. We recognize his power, but we also recognize that he alone is God. I mean, he deserves everything, and we put value on our relationship with him. A people that honor God. The fifth, fifth thing I want to touch on was, is this prayer of favor. And this one kind of freaks me out a little bit. I, I, I love it, though. It's like in verse 11, this thought of a prayer for favor. It's like, please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. I mean, that's, a, that's an amazing prayer for him to be praying in the context that he was. And it's like, I'm just going to take a second and and. and and, and let you know that, okay, he was the cupbearer to the king, but he was obviously a Jew. So he was in the king's court in Persia. So he was a servant. And the reason he was a cupbearer, so he could taste it to make sure nobody got poisoned, that the king didn't get poisoned before he gave it to him. So it was, it was a very important thing. But also, it was a very, um, I don't know if fragile is the right word, but, but the relationship there, he was just a servant, basically a slave in the court. And so his relationship to the king was a basically a, a really a one-way thing. It's like, so to, to speak to the king, to approach the king with your own agenda, like, you're just supposed to pass the cup and make sure there's no poison in it. And so you're going to the king and asking for something, that is a very dangerous thing to consider. Like, to even approach, like, the man in charge. And so in this, in praying for favor, what Nehemiah is doing is that he, he's, he is praying that, God, I'm about to do something that may cost me my life. God, I need your favor. I need you to move on the heart of this ruler of this nation to enable me to respond to the need that I see that I believe you're calling me to respond to. That's a prayer of favor. That's a risky prayer. That's, that's a prayer that can cost us something. This sense that, that, that when he leans into this, he's putting himself out there. And he's praying for divine appointments with action in mind. He, he's, he's realizing, I'm going to have to do something here. I'm feeling like God's stirring me to go back. And I'm praying, God, give me favor for the people in power to enable me to be responsible and respond to this need Wow. That's a, that's a pretty risky kind of prayer. 
So the challenge is, is, is what about us? What's, what are some prayers that we could pray? Who, who are some people that, that, we, that we're around that at the risk of our, of our pride sometimes, sorry, yes, I said that, at the risk of our pride, at the risk of, of, of people's response to it, maybe it's, it's a situation where it, it could be someone in our world where we're willing to pray for favor and believe for a divine appointment that we can reach out and lean into something for divine kingdom purpose. Politically correct, not so much. Potentially world-changing, absolutely. What Nehemiah did was not politically correct, but it was powerful. And we'll, we'll get into how God responded to that and how the king responded to that. So this, this, this last one is, is prayer for favor. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. I want us to respond to this in a very practical way and as the, as the team makes its way back and works its way back to the stage. I want to invite all of us, all of us here this morning, to intentionally pray it forward this week. There's five aspects to Nehemiah's prayer that I pulled out. Conveniently, there's five days in this week, work week. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. What I'm proposing is that each day of the week this week, Monday, we begin and everybody across the life of the church just begins with a sense of prayer, of confession. Pour their heart out to God. Then Tuesday rolls around and, and we, we pray a prayer of repentance and we reflect on that. All of this in the context of, of praying for our church, praying for this year, praying for our city. You know, it rolls around to, to Wednesday and when we're praying to focus on the power of God and his faithfulness and what he's done and what he can do and who he is. And Thursday, we focus on honoring God with our lives and praying that we can do that. And Friday, we focus on praying for favor, thinking of, God, what are you calling me to do this year in the life of the church and the life of our city? We can do a lot of things in this year, and we will. But I believe it's absolutely crucial that prayer be paramount in all we do. That prayer be the foundation, the launching point of all we do. That we bathe this year in prayer, that we bathe each other in prayer, that we bathe our city in prayer, that we, we're willing to go to God and do it from a place as Nehemiah did of relying on him. I would even go so far that, that if you feel to do it, what if we fasted and prayed? And not everybody can, but most people can. And maybe you've never fasted, and if you, if you want a little more information on that, I can give it to you. But this idea of, of fasting and prayer, I'm actually, th Monday through Friday, um, I'm doing a one meal a day fast for those five days. After six on each day, I'll, I'll have a meal. But that's not just to lose the turkey and the, and the cookies and the pies and all that. 
I want to lay aside those meals to focus, to focus, to focus, that those, even those hunger pains would, would help me to focus. It's like, no, this matters. There, there's too much at stake not to pray for this year. There's too much on the go here. There's too many people that are lost and, and hopeless and far from God that need God. Guys, we've got, Nehemiah prayed. And then he acted, and he prayed some more, and he acted. Can we, can we just commit to this idea of prayer? There's, there's a couple ways that, that you can do it. There's some prayer journals no, journals that are available. Um, they're going to be back at Faith Next. I've printed off a bunch of those that, that, you know, it explains fasting in the front. But it's these five points that we can do together and we can reflect on. Each, each day of the week this week, uh, our church's Facebook page is going to have these a, a, a scripture and a prayer focus that align with this message that we can do this together. There's power in one person praying. There's multiplied power of a congregation, of a group of people agreeing and praying and pulling in the same direction in prayer. And that's my call for us. That we would, that we would even if it's one small step, you might, you might choose to, to, to give up something as small as coffee, and instead of drinking your coffee, you're going to pray. For some people, that would be bigger than food. But, do you know what I mean? But you're going to say, no, I'm going to pray. I'm going to take this seriously. I want to lean into this. I want to... <laughs> I must be done. <coughs> I want to ask us to do that as a, as, a, as a people. And is this being the first Sunday of the month and, and the first Sunday of the year. I want us to go into a time of communion. And we're going to take communion together. And I can't help but believe that this could be a point of, of reflection, of self-examination, of, of looking at ourselves and just laying it, ourselves bare before God as we take communion and as we think of it and as we as we reflect on the price that Jesus was willing to pay for us, as we reflect on his blood that was shed for us, when we reflect on his body which was broken for us, and that we can come in a way of, of confession and re repentance and alignment and being received because of the body and the blood of Christ. It's what Jesus did on the cross that makes confession and repentance an incredible gift. So as the team comes and begins to, to serve that, they're, they're going to, to hand it out to each one, ask each one to take the, the cracker and the juice and, and hold that. And then um, once everyone has had a chance to receive those, we'll all come back and we'll, we'll take communion together. But can we just really take this as a time of reflection and commitment, fresh commitment to God in this season that we're in? And as, as we do that, we're just going to begin and we're going to sing a song of commitment to God and, and then I'll come, come back and do that.